Hey, welcome to the podcast today. We are in part three of a series on divorce and remarriage. We've been examining Jesus' teaching on adultery, and last week we examined Jesus' teaching on divorce. Now we're going to look at the subject of remarriage, what the Bible has to say about remarriage, and I want to also end with a word of pastoral encouragement for those who are considering uh, ending their marriage and maybe having some marriage struggles. What should I do in that context? And for some people who are considering getting married again. So that's how we're going to wrap up the series today. I want to take a look at the verses that we have been studying as a part of this series. And I want to look first at Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. The context of this passage, uh, if you've been following the series, Moses is pro-marriage. And, uh, and as we're looking at this through the lens of remarriage, Moses is pro-marriage. Moses is pro-remarriage. He's assuming that remarriage is going to happen. And in fact, we're going to see that he states clearly that he's assuming that that remarriage is likely going to happen. And, uh, and, and Moses actually is going to tell us that he is against remarriage if you divorce your wife and would like to remarry her again down the road, is what Moses is going to say. But let's take a look here at Deuteronomy 24. It says, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce hands it to her, sends her away from his house. Now, I'm not going to go over the cultural context. We already looked at that in past episodes here of this series, but simply stating that there might be a reason that the husband would want to divorce his wife, uh, most likely for marital unfaithfulness. And so he hands her a ticket of divorce, sends her away from his house, Take a look at verse 2. When she leaves his house, she, she is free to marry another man. So uh, this is uh, a clear statement that Moses is assuming that people are going to get remarried after a divorce. She is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away, or if he dies... The first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon the land. The Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. Of course, we've been talking about this. This is this reads so strangely to us. We're 4,000 years away from the original context of Moses giving these laws to this particular group of people. But the principle that is here is that Moses is assuming remarriage and that Moses is actually prohibiting remarriage if you're going to marry your first spouse again, which is interesting. But we'll, we'll let's just leave it there and take a look at what the next uh, passage has to say. We're going to take a look at Jesus talking about divorce and once again, the context here with Jesus, he is talking about adultery, and this is actually Jesus teaching on adultery, and he mentions divorce in his teaching on adultery. And, and what's happening here is he is, is encouraging people to consider the fact that 
they might actually want to divorce their spouse so that they can commit adultery, that they have another person that they want to enter into a relationship with, and their their divorce is actually related to a desire to commit adultery. So when Jesus gives his teaching here, it's obvious that Jesus is pro-marriage, and he refers back to Deuteronomy 24. Uh, it's actually that uh, Jesus is assuming that remarriage is the impetus for the divorce. So once again, Jesus assumes remarriage. Um, and and uh, here's what Jesus has to say. He says, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. He's re- referring to Deuteronomy 24. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. It's important to understand the context here when we're talking about remarriage and and divorce. It's important to understand the context here that Jesus' context is about adultery. And any divorce initiated uh, with the desire of lusting after another person, desiring to be with that person, actually leads to adultery. Um, so the, the, the person who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, if there's been unfaithfulness, then there is no uh, adultery involved, causes her to commit adultery. So, uh, it, it, and the idea is that adultery is one of the Ten Commandments, one of the most important commandments. The sanctity of marriage is important. Jesus is pro-marriage. Marriage is so important to him. And... Um, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these rich folks were looking to have a divorce so that they could actually commit adultery. It wasn't about the divorce, it was about adultery. So Jesus is giving a strong warning again about initiating a divorce with the intention of actually starting a relationship with another person. That is adultery, and if you do that, you're actually causing the, your partner to commit adultery as well. So he's he's just giving a really severe warning about that. But again, here, Jesus is pro-marriage. With respect to remarriage, we see here that Jesus is assuming that remarriage is the impetus for the divorce. And, uh, and that's really the most that we can take away from that particular passage. Now we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 5, or sorry, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 11. Here we're going to see again that Jesus is pro-marriage, and that the context is clear that one lifelong marriage is God's intention. And, and then Jesus is actually going to state his assumption about remarriage in verse 9. So let's take a look here. Uh, Jesus had finished saying these things. He left Galilee, went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there. He heals the sick. Some Pharisees come, try to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? We've talked about the cultural significance of that. Jesus comes back, says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record from the beginning. God made them male and female and said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So Jesus is pro-marriage. Jesus is giving us a clear statement that one lifelong marriage is God's intention. 
And then, why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? So the Pharisees are nitpicking with Jesus, and well, okay, if that's the case, then why does Deuteronomy 24 exist? Why does Moses give these uh, these directions? Jesus says, Moses permitted this only as a concession to your hardened hearts, but that was not what God had originally intended. Then he says this, and this is where, again, Jesus assumes that remarriage is going to happen if a person gets a divorce. I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Again, we see there that the reason for divorce, the only reason that Jesus gives is marital unfaithfulness. And uh, just just want to point out in here when it comes to remarriage, Jesus is assuming people are going to want to get remarried. Um, let's look here now in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 verses 1 to 9. Now, it's interesting here when you read 1 Corinthians 7, Paul seems to be a little bit anti-marriage, and Paul has himself made the decision that he is going to live like a single person, and that uh, we don't know if Paul was married at one time, or if Paul and his wife have decided they're going to live as single, or if Paul has been single all his life, but whatever the case, Paul is actually encouraging people not to get, to get married, and he's saying marriage is a concession for those who actually can't, uh, can't actually uh, not be married. So uh, Paul is, seems to be a little bit anti-marriage here, and uh, uh, he's saying it's better to stay unmarried. Let's take a look at what Paul has to say here. Um, let's start in at verse 8. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. So here we here we see Paul is a little bit anti-marriage. It, it would be better, you know, for you to stay unmarried, just like I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. So Paul seems to be a little bit anti-marriage, better to stay unmarried, the desire for singles to be married is is stated clearly. It's it's people are going to want to be married if they are single. The rationale for marriage is it's better to marry than to burn with lust. First uh, Corinthians seven verses ten to eleven. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me but from the Lord. So Paul actually gives us one of Jesus' commands that actually we don't read in the scriptures anywhere else. Uh, I have command that comes from me, but from, uh, not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him, and the husband must not leave the wife. So there's something that's happened. There's a breakdown in the relationship. Perhaps the wife is being beaten by the husband. Perhaps there's some issues that are happening where the children are not safe. We don't know exactly the reasons why Paul is, is or why Jesus would say this, why Paul is passing this on, but there must be some pragmatic, practical reason that's happening. And so he gives a concession. He says, if the uh, husband and wife need to separate for some reason, 
Then he says, let her remain single. So this is actually a prohibition against remarriage uh, for those that don't fit the other categories, the category of unfaithfulness, uh, the category of uh, abandonment that that Paul talks about. Uh, If she does not leave him, uh, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. So the hope is for reconciliation. The desire is for reconciliation. That is uh, what what Jesus' teaching is about here that Paul is passing on to us. And it's interesting, the husband must not leave the wife. So the wife can leave the husband. So there's obviously something going on there. And uh, it might be related to domestic violence. That's what many commentators uh, are guessing, that it might be related to domestic violence in some way, shape, or form. So the wife can leave the husband if there's something going on, if there's a reason to uh, Jesus teaching that Paul passes on to us, the husband must not leave the wife. But in these cases, there's no remarriage. Stay single, try to reconcile the marriage is what Paul is saying. And then verses 12, now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, she's willing to continue living with him. He must not leave her. So, uh, uh, and then if uh, later on down the road, if uh, the believing, um, in verse 15, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Uh, so in this situation, a person might end up divorced due to abandonment. Um, and then Paul says here in verse 15, you are no longer bound to each other. You are no longer bound to each other. And many commentators and interpreters uh, see this as that remarriage is possible for those in this situation where the, the, their partner, for whatever reason, has said, hey, you know, I don't want this anymore. I'm not interested in this marriage anymore. I'm not even sure if I'm a believer anymore, or I never was a believer. And they walk out on the marriage. What's the other person to do? And Paul here says they're no longer bound to each other. So it's as if they are not married. Um, now, this is, a, this is a difficult one. The implication, like I said, a lot of commentators would say the implication is that remarriage is possible. The implication here is that uh, the person has returned to the state that they were in when we uh, when we read verse 8 here, the person who's not married, and to widows, so people who have lost a spouse for whatever reason, it's better to stay unmarried. Uh, but if you can't control yourself, it's better to go ahead and marry than to burn with lust. So just in our summary here of remarriage, uh, Moses is pro-marriage in Deuteronomy 24. Remarriage is assumed when there has been a divorce. And um, uh, Jesus is pro-marriage. But Jesus' context actually assumes that remarriage is the impetus for the divorce, and Jesus is actually cautioning against entering into a divorce where you have remarriage as the intention of your heart. 
And what I will often do is counsel couples if um, they're considering a divorce uh, or an individual, if they're considering divorce and they've got somebody else in the picture, I will recommend to them get that other person out of the picture for two years. Just get them out of your life, get them out of your picture. And if truly you believe you have grounds for a divorce here and that you plan to get a divorce, there should be no one else in the picture. Don't have them as part of the picture. Get them out of the picture and just focus on uh, the possibility that maybe God would want to reconcile your marriage. So the principle there is that before you enter into this, before you really pull the trigger on this divorce, if you're thinking about a remarriage right after, don't do it. Don't do it. That's Jesus' affirmation. That's Jesus' encouragement. Uh, Matthew 19, we see that Jesus is pro-marriage. Jesus is assuming uh, remarriage in verse 9 there, and that people who divorce will want to remarry, marry, and Jesus is giving permission there uh, that, that divorce is allowable for marital unfaithfulness. And again, some commentators would assume that that then would mean that remarriage is possible. Jesus doesn't clearly state that. Uh, here, of course, in, in the passage we've looked at in 1 Corinthians, there might be a divorce due to abandonment. And then Paul is saying they're no longer bound to each other, which might open up the possibility of uh, remarriage. So that's the extent of what the scriptures actually have to say about remarriage. The scriptures are, are quite, um, quite clear that um, really God designed us for marriage and for a lifelong marriage. God created marriage uh, not to make us happy, but to actually make us holy. And I want to just turn our attention in the last part of this podcast to for those that are rethinking their marriage and, and maybe you're considering getting a divorce. I want to give you three questions that you can ask yourself, questions that can just get you really considering, is this something that I should do? First question that, that I think every individual should ask themselves, uh, just a real heart-to-heart, soul-wrenching question that you need to ask yourself, have you counted the cost involved with ending your marriage? And so often the situation that the individual is in feels like it's overwhelming. It feels like the person that I'm married to is not going to change. They're never going to change. It feels like um, uh, they're in a really, really tough situation, a really, really tough spot. And sometimes it seems like ending the marriage is actually easier than staying in the marriage. And sometimes it's actually worth sitting down and counting the cost, picturing uh, uh, the movie forward. Move the movie forward. What does your life look like if you end up divorcing this person? Does it look better? Does it look worse? What's the real cost involved with ending your marriage? There may be a financial cost. There may be a spiritual cost. There may be an emotional and a physical and a mental cost. That seems easy right now because you just want out. But actually, if you really sit down and and think it through, that cost might actually be higher than you think. Uh, I've shared the story of a person who 
was married and then divorced. And many years later, looking back on it, they said, you know, the, the, the things that I had on my list that were reasons why I felt I needed to get that divorce, you know, looking back through the eyes of an older person, through a person that's lived most of their life, I really should not have uh, pushed for the divorce. I really didn't have the reasons that I thought I did. I might have been better off to stay with my, uh, my spouse. And so this, that's the first reason. Have you counted the cost involved with ending your marriage? Second question to ask yourself, what's your motivation for wanting out of your marriage? What's your motivation? Is there another person in the picture? If there's another person in the picture, you need to get them out of the picture. Because if you are considering uh, entering into another marriage out of this divorce, then uh Think about the passages that we've looked at. Jesus is saying that you're actually helping to cause your partner to commit adultery and you yourself are committing adultery. If your intention in getting the divorce is to get remarried, right again, if you've got somebody else in the picture, don't do it. So what's your motivation for wanting out of your marriage? If there's somebody else in the picture, don't do it. I just want to encourage you in this. I just want to encourage you to consider just pushing pause and just stopping right now and just thinking about this. God created marriage not to make us happy, but to make us holy. And it could be that some of the things that are on your list, some of the reasons that you feel you need to uh, get out of this relationship, it could actually be that those are related to things that God is wanting to teach you. Uh, God is wanting to teach you how to get along with your spouse how to get along with another person, how to love another person, uh, how to forgive another person, how to parent together along with another person. God might actually be working on character deficiencies in your own life and in your own heart and things that he has for you to learn. Marriage is not necessarily designed to make us happy. Marriage was designed to make us holy. And God actually might be trying to make you holy through the struggles that you're going through with your partner. It could actually be that the personality struggles, the character struggles, the forgiveness struggles, the anger struggles, the bitterness struggles, the communication struggles, the parenting struggles, whatever those are, it could actually be that this is a character test and this is God wanting to purify you and make you holy. And you need to think about this because if you leave the marriage for those reasons and say down the road, say there's nobody else in the picture and four or five years down the road, you just you meet somebody else. You say, okay, I'd like to get remarried. Your spouse has since been remarried and you want to get remarried. You marry that person. Guess what? You're going to run into the same problems, the same challenges. You're going to run into another person, another personality, uh, another will, another style, another way of getting along, another way of being married. And guess what? God's going to use that marriage not to make you happy, but to make you holy. God's going to use that marriage to work on your character deficiencies, to work on your character struggles, to work on your character issues. And you're not going to escape those character struggles and those character issues, they're still going to be there. So, thinking about your current marriage, why not say, God, 
teach me, work with me, work on my personality, work on my communication style, work on my leadership style, work on uh, how I co-parent and and parent together with my spouse, work on uh, the physical side of our marriage, all of those kind of things, the things that I am struggling with, what if they're character struggles that are going to be there in the second marriage, in the third marriage, in the fourth marriage? And if you keep running from those character struggles, um, you're, you're still going to have to uh, pass that test. You're still going to have to go through that struggle. You're still going to have to go through that test. And so marriage is designed not to make us happy, but to make us holy. And it could be that God is wanting to work in your life and grow you and change you and develop you. And he's using your marriage to do that. So it feels like I want out of this thing. It feels like I want to be done with this thing. But maybe God is using this to make you holy. If you get out now, you might actually end up in another relationship down the road and having to face the same issues. So why not face them now with your first partner or the partner that you're currently married to? God can use the good and the bad in my spouse. There might actually be some bad in your spouse. That's probably likely. There's probably some sinfulness in your spouse. God can use the good and bad in your spouse for his purposes. Uh, God can use the differences in your personality and character. God can use the differences in the disappointments in your marriage. If your spouse has failed you, God can use those disappointments in your marriage uh, to make you more like Jesus. And that is God's goal. In fact, I believe that this is one of the main reasons why Jesus is so adamant that divorce is really something we shouldn't consider except for marital unfaithfulness. And even then, 80% of, of people whose spouse has been unfaithful to them say, I still want to work this out. I still want to uh, remain in the marriage. I still want to try to figure this out and stay married. And it's because God has designed marriage to help to grow us, to help to shape us, to help to make us more like Jesus over the course of a lifetime. So what's your motivation for wanting out of your marriage? You might want out because it's just too tough. Reality is it's going to be tough. The next relationship, the next one, the next one, might as well face it now and allow this relationship to help God to make you holy, to help God make you more like Jesus. Third question, how committed are you to making your marriage work? How committed are you to making your marriage work? You know what? It takes two to make a marriage work. If you're not committed to your marriage and, uh, and your spouse is, then it's not going to change. If you're not committed to your marriage and your spouse isn't committed to it, if neither of you are committed to it, guess what? It's not going to change. If one of you doesn't start to lay down your life, to love your spouse as Jesus loved them, to pray for your spouse, to pray for your marriage, to start to invest in your marriage, if one or both of you doesn't start to do that, it's not going to change. It's not going to get anywhere. So how committed are you to making your marriage work? A good marriage is going to cost you everything you've got and then some, but it's an investment that pays off over time. If you can navigate through the difficulties, if you can navigate through the disappointments, if you can be so committed to making your marriage work that you can navigate through all that stuff, I, I tell you, you will 
sit down at the end of your, your, your life and you'll say, I'm so glad that I fought through that because what we've got, what we ended up with, is so worth it. A good marriage is going to cost you all that you've got and then some more. It's going to require you to put your spouse and your kids ahead of you in all things. And that's hard. That's really, that's really the, the rub uh, very often in marriage. I had a very wise pastor in my life many years ago when I was a young adult, when I was uh, dating Angela. And this very wise pastor said to me, said, you know what? Getting married only taught me how selfish I really am. And then he said, Get, having kids even taught me even more how selfish I really am. And that's actually one of the things that marriage does is it points out how selfish we really are. We really do want life to be about me. So it's going to require you to put your spouse ahead of yourself and your spouse and your kids ahead of yourself in all things. And that doesn't mean that you don't speak up in a healthy marriage and say, hey, you know, I have some needs here. Can we talk about those needs? Uh, we actually looked at that last week in 1 Corinthians 7, talking about our sexual needs. And Paul has some great advice on that. So you can go back and listen to the last episode uh, of the podcast if you, if you missed that one. But it's going to require you to put your spouse ahead of yourself in all things. doesn't mean that you don't speak up for your needs and have those healthy conversations about your needs. But so often, marriage actually points us to how selfish we really are. And a good marriage requires self-denial. It requires patience. It requires intentionality. It requires hard work. It requires forgiveness. It requires a heart of love, just like the love that God has for you. Uh, when you sin, when you fall short, God still loves you. When, when you struggle, when you falter, God is still patient with you. And a good marriage, a healthy marriage, is able to weather those seasons, those periods, when um, it's hard, and you're struggling to be patient, and you're struggling to be, to, to be forgiving, and you're struggling to love. And in times like that, I just simply, uh, Angela and I have both been through times like that in our marriage uh, from each side of it. And both of us have had to just go to our knees and say, God, help me to be patient. God, help me to be loving. God, help me to see in my spouse uh, the way that you see them. Help me to see them through your eyes. Help me to uh, to understand what their needs are. Help me to put myself, uh, 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 to, to put them ahead of myself. Help me to realize that maybe you're using this marriage to make me more holy. You're using this marriage to make me more like Jesus. And, um, and so those are some things to consider if you are considering ending your marriage. If you're considering remarriage, my advice, my encouragement to you would be a couple of things. First of all, is there a chance of reconciliation with your first marriage? If there is a chance of reconciliation, if they are not married yet, if they still would like to reconcile, my advice to you is put everything you can, invest everything you can in reconciling that first marriage. You will be far better off if you can do that. And that, in fact, is the scriptural advice that Paul gives to us if we're separated, to do everything we can to reconcile that marriage. Uh, if reconciliation is not possible, if that person has moved on, 
If they have married somebody else, then you fit into that category of abandonment, and there is no possibility of, of, of uh, that marriage being reconciled. And then I would encourage you to just start to prayerfully think about, um, uh, just think wisely, think carefully, think prayerfully about this person. Uh, if it's a second marriage for them, uh, I would encourage you to invest in some uh, some pre-marriage counseling, some good pre-marriage counseling, where you can walk through some of the issues that maybe come out of your first relationships and some of the ways that your personality connects with each other. I would invest heavily in pre-marriage counseling before a second marriage, just simply because there's more issues, there's more struggles, there's more things uh, at, at stake. Uh, there you might have kids already, so that your kids are at stake, those kind of things. So, uh, if reconciliation is not possible and you want to consider a second marriage, just I, I would encourage you to uh, take it carefully, take it slowly, and uh, and be wise. Put a lot of prayer into it. Put a lot of uh, uh, time into seeking counsel and advice from friends and family. Well, that's it. We're wrapping up this series on um, adultery and divorce and remarriage. Hopefully this has been helpful for you, encouraging for you. Hopefully it has been, um, uh, I know a lot of this teaching is, is challenging for us, but so good for us in the long run. So thanks again for joining us. Hope you have a fantastic day and be blessed.